Hey everyone, welcome back to Illuminate, a podcast series from Hope Fellowship Church where we share stories to inspire growth and encourage engagement in our community. Today we are kicking off season three. In this season, we're taking a look at the interplay between faith and emotions. And to start us off, Nathan and I are talking to Pastor Mark today about some of his experiences um, in the way he has seen the two interact together in his personal life and in the church. We're going to jump right in and hope you enjoy the show. So everybody should know who Pastor Mark is, probably not, not going to be too much of a surprise or unknown <laughs> for the majority of our audience, but it's yeah. been a couple months. How have you been? Past been well, months? been well, yes, absolutely. Uh, just preparing for summer and, and other things, family and all those wonderful things that happen in our lives. And so it's good. Got a, you know, we go from just being empty nesters to also having a student back in our home again, which is a lot of fun. It's, uh, yeah, you know, you, you have the couch for so long and now I no longer have the couch. There is this very large human being that's occupying my spaces. But it's, but yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing being our last summer. So it's really been uh, thus far a great opportunity. We're learning to fish and uh, spend a lot of time on the water right now with Grayson and I. And it's been, I think, uh, very, just a, a very enriching you know, time for our relationship together being his last summer. It's, it's really good. And, and so that's where we are right now. It's a good time. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we're really grateful that you took this time out of your uh, busy schedule to come and sit down and talk with us a little bit about something that uh, we're pretty excited about, uh, which is faith and our emotions and how those two interplay with E other and kind of our big idea for this season as we kick it off is um, how our spiritual growth impacts our emotional maturity and then in turn our emotional responses as well and um, as you know we're, we're doing this season in preface to our fall series which we're super excited about which is in the book of Psalms and we thought it'd be really cool to be prefacing that series with kind of a more intimate conversation with you and hopefully some other people just in our community um, as that is always our goal and just start talking about how you've learned about how emotions play into your own faith and then even as a whole general aspect how our emotions um, interact with the faith that we have in, in Jesus and so that's kind of our first question that we really wanted to talk to you about which is uh, what are some ways in which you have come and you are coming to understand the balance um, just between emotions and faith in your own life and I think when when we talk about our emotion I think that's important to maybe define what we're talking about and it brings me somewhat back to our current series in the book of first peter and this in first peter's excellent i think to lead us into the psalms is is that our emotions are really many times how we respond to moments in life it's how we respond to those issues in life it's it's our response to those moments when we are elated with happiness and everything is going wonderful and in those moments when we are sad, and, and what I realize about life is that both the moments when we are extremely happy and the moments when we are extremely sad really both have value for our lives. And, and I think 
coming back to our, our faith and, and that balance is that, that our emotions are a product of our faith. And, and I think about it a lot like that, you know, they're really a product of our faith in, in that it starts with understanding the great cost that Christ paid for our redemption. And then from that, who I am in Christ, and that is that I'm no longer my own. So that has a great bearing upon the way that I respond to life in, in moments of when, when, I'm, when it's really going great and when things are not going so well within my life that I find that my emotions should be driven or greatly influenced by my faith. Yeah, I think like what you're saying was kind of coming to my, my, my mind right now is that um, if you put a non-believer and a believer next to each other, and this is, I guess, going to be a question too to help kind of help me understand more of what you're saying. But would you say then, like, so you're saying that your faith almost not confines, but it provides a safe environment f- for you to experience those emotions. So, for instance, if something is uh, a joy-filled experience, maybe a non-believer shoots way up, right, and it's like a pinnacle moment of their life, and as a believer it's more controlled almost, if, if that makes sense. Like it, it goes from more of being a raw, a rawer emotion to a more controlled emotion because it's set in a perspective of, of faith. Is that kind of what? And, and I think our faith does give us a greater perspective of our emotion. We are emotional beings. Why? I think you have to understand that first. Why are we are emotional beings? Why? Because God created us that way. Yeah. He really did. So to say that emotions are some are a product, I think, of our sinful world, broken world that we live in, which I think is a misconception of who we are, that God created us that way emotionally. You know, here's Adam in the garden, and all of a sudden God has given him everything that anyone could ever want at his fingertips, and God sees him, but yet there is this emotion of loneliness in his life. You know, he's missing something. So in the perfection of the garden, God creates the emotion in his life of loneliness because he, of, of creating need in his life. And, and so I think it's, it's an interesting thought that, that those emotions, whether believers or non-believers, are there because they are given by God. How we process and navigate through them is directly affected by our faith. You know, just because we are Christ's followers does not mean that we always have this perfect handle or balance in our emotions either. Yeah. That, that what we realize is that, you know, you have someone that's not a Christ follower, someone's a Christ follower, and they say they lose someone in their life that they're very close to. Both are going to experience grief, except to the Christ follower, grief is seen through this perspective of hope because we have hope in Christ that we'll be united to those that are not Christ follower, that that grief is sometimes seen in the perspective of hopelessness. Yeah. I think that's a, a great point, too, going back to what you said about um, God putting this spirit of loneliness in Adam because we know all things come from God, yes. and so like we have to understand that our emotions do, too. I think there's a, a misconception a lot of times where when we experience these negative emotions— they are purposeless, um, but anything from God is going to have purpose for our lives. So for Adam, and even us in our perspective now, looking back on that, we see, oh, loneliness is to direct us towards community, and that's good for our life. So it's it serves a purpose and a function, and, and that negative emotions aren't just to be, you know, 
looked down upon, but as a starting point for, you know, where am I being moved to? Like, what is missing from my life? These are good indicators that are going to bring me to a better place. Yeah. I think, you know, people tell me all the time as a counselor that they're lonely. And, and my, my first question to them many times is, what's the lens in which you see the loneliness that you're in through? And, and do you see it as a catalyst in your life for that community, like you just said, or, or do you, or you just see, see this hopelessness? And, and so we try to fill it with all different kinds of things, that, just that emotion alone, when reality, God placed loneliness in the heart of Adam, not, not just for Eve, a companion, but really it was for God himself, right? It, it was to have community, ultimate community with God himself. All those things that we experience push us to him, grief, all those kinds of things, even even the moments of ha- happiness or all of those things push us to Christ. If it's happiness, then we say, well, then we have to give God glory for the things that he's doing in our life. And and if it's grief, and, and those two things seem to be opposite, polar opposites of one another, then grief, then we find hope in the moments where most people would find hopelessness. Yeah, I think that kind of sparks another question for me of just, you said the word negative emotion. Mm-hmm. And I guess as a believer, when does an emotion become a negative emotion? Because like what you're saying with the grief, I don't know if we would then view it as a negative emotion because right. it's growing us closer to exactly. someone being God and um, and even anger. When in, And I think th- those are the types of things where it's like, wh- at what point does it become negative in our life? Because maybe it has gone outside of our perspective as Christians. Even, and you brought up anger, and that's that was my first thought when you said a negative emotion, right. because truly, how many of us would sit here and say to this, well, my anger was this blessing from God, you know, and, and so thank you, Lord, that please make me more angry when we live in a world that's truly angry. But I think anger sometimes, you know, even Scripture tells us <clears throat> that, that it's okay for us believers to be angry yet without sin. And, and, right. and, and so there, there is a certain anger, whether you call it righteous indignation or whatever you want to title it, I think there's a certain emotion that we would characterize as anger in our lives that could actually have a positive outcome for us. Yeah. You know, we should all be angry at injustice, right? We should all be angry at those kinds of things. I should be angry at, at that of, uh, you know, uh, human trafficking. I should be angry at those things because Scripture would simply propel me to do that. And yet that anger... I, I think should also be a catalyst in my life for me to do something about that, to motivate me to do something positive about about that. And I think the anger, though, when it becomes a negative emotion for us, is when we when we use it outside those parameters. That when we use it outside those perspectives of Scripture and what Christ would be calling us to, or passion for others, or uh, hatred for injustice. When it becomes a selfish thing, when we're angry because it's a selfish and, and self-motivated thing for us. I think that's kind of like um, the Tremper Longman quote that I used a couple of weeks back of emotions are the language of the soul. And so it really shows where you are um, as well as how much it hurts you. Because I think that there are some people right, uh, that feel differently towards different things. So they're getting angry at different things. And yet we are all supposedly still coming from that same perspective. 
And so I think that that's when, I guess for me, when I start to feel a little bit more confused when I'm looking at, let's say, two Christians side by side and yet they're angry for different things and yet both are saying that it's a, a righteous anger against something that uh, is hurting is hurting others, if that makes sense. Yeah, and sure. I guess that's kind of the, as Christians, where is that where is that balance? You know, is there a right and wrong? Are one of those right and one of those wrong? Or is it how we were uniquely made um, that we're going to experience emotions still within the same perspective, uh, but on different scales almost. Yeah. It's an interesting question or thought because uh, I think first of all, you know, again, it goes back to how we see the emotions of our lives and, and that one that we are amazingly powerful emotional beings because we see, we see many of our emotions actually modeled in God himself. We, right. so, so we see those things. And I think where those emotions can take us sometimes outside of the spirit and being and, and always bringing us back to Christ is that it can take us into moments where we lose our objectivity in life. Mm-hmm. We, we make very poor decisions and emotions of our lives uh, because we lose perspective of them inside of God and how he's speaking and using those moments with us. And I think that's what would separate us many times as if you have a believer and a non-believer, if that's what we're talking about, is is how we process and then how we allow those emotions to lead us. And the reality is our our emotions should be a response to something. Our emotions should not necessarily be an element that leads us in life. It should be a response. It takes us to God or or, or we see God working in that moment. But yet when we allow our emotions to be the leading aspect of our lives, that's when we make poor decisions. That's when we lose our objectivity in life. That's when we can't see clearly. Things can become very fogged for us. And and I think we make very poor decisions at that moment when we're allowing our emotions to definitely lead us. Um, we're, We're led by the Spirit. We know that. We're called to walk by the Spirit, the Scriptures tell us not to walk by our emotion, and, but yet we are emotional beings. So the, the, the struggle, the tension that we'll always face in this world until Christ returns, the tension is always the balance between that of the spirit and our emotion. And, and that, you know, our emotion, the spirit leads us. Our emotion is a reaction to things in this world. But when we mix those up and we allow our emotions to begin to lead our lives, that's when we find ourselves in trouble. I think of two characters, I guess right now, just because we're in the book of First Peter, that Peter keeps coming to my mind of, uh, the, you know, another question of what are some biblical examples of these healthy or unhealthy amounts of emotions being portrayed? And I think of one, Jesus, obviously, because he is the person that we're supposed yeah, to be following, right, but right. then also uh, maybe put up against Peter. And we talked about this a lot, and I feel like we've said it from stage a decent bit of times already of Peter being the one who draws the sword and cuts off uh, the Roman soldier's ear, and that's almost his, res- it's his response, you know, his emotions in that moment were leading him, um, but we know Peter to be that practical person, that, that that's something that you can evidently see that he struggles with throughout, because uh, it almost feels like you can sense his anger in the scripture a lot of times against people who aren't obeying Jesus, or his frustration with Jesus when Jesus calls someone when he doesn't think that they deserve to be called, and you can see kind of those raw emotions, mm-hmm. uh, but on the flip sure. side, you see Jesus in a controlled setting still weeping over the death of Lazarus while not letting that crush him, um, right? Or you see him 
his heart break for uh, a Mary uh, and and him coming to her um, while still also uh, being objective, like you're saying, and still being able to have sense almost to go and talk to her and, and provide for her. So I guess it, just as just throughout Scripture, what are some of those biblical examples that we can look to um, of healthy or unhealthy emotion being shown um, that, that you kind of pull from when you when in thinking about emotions and, and faith i think one of the characters that i look at most and it goes so well with our upcoming uh teaching through the book of psalms is david and if there was an emotional guy in scripture he's the guy right <laughs> he's the guy right so what emotions do you see in his life when you see the good ones absolutely i mean he's a guy that's driven by lust you know, th- those kinds of things. He's, he's, a, he's the guy that when he sees something, he wants it. So, you know, that of, of we know the story of Bathsheba so well. He's driven by that. We find him with anger in his life. We, we see, I think if you look at the life of David, you would probably see the entire spectrum of emotion. Everything is there. He's got grief when he loses his child. You know, we, he, he weeps continually it a seems lot. like a lot right? yeah, yeah. he was a crier he was a crier which is not a bad thing no no i'm not sure what they used for tissue back then but he would have gone through many boxes of oh, tissue if high rider <laughs> camel skin whatever right uh, but yet we find all all of this array of emotion and when we go through and teach through the book of psalms I think it will be a great journey for all of us to deal with that. First of all, don't deny your emotions. That's a huge thing, right? Yeah. Don't deny them. Emotions, first, emotions are not a sign of weakness. And I think that's important that we understand it, especially yeah. for men who we are sometimes very good at hiding our emotions and because of our great insecurity, that we hide that because we don't want to be judged incorrectly because of certain cultural designed prescriptions of what men are descriptions of what men should look like and the reality is there was never a, a, if you want to call him a man's man any more manly and masculine than David was right. David was a warrior you know when David asked God if he could build a temple God said no because there's so much blood on your hands David yeah. because you're you're a warrior but then yet your son will do that for me, but you can't do that because yeah. you're a warrior. But we find a guy that's God says that your hands are covered in blood. But we also find a guy who finds we find his head simply slumped over in the palms of his hands, weeping before God because of brokenness, because of his own sin, because of his loss, because of his children have absolutely gone crazy, yeah. and 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 those kinds of things. So I would say when I think about David and this thing, I wrote. You know, I, I just wrote this out. Honesty with your emotions are so important, I yeah. think. And, and to realize that, one, they are God-given, that we're honest with that. But they always, we, we always struggle to bring them back to God at some point. And that's the issue is that, you know, David says, Why are you so cast down, O my soul? Yeah. If we just stop there, we think that David finds himself in a deep, dark depression, an emotional sort of darkness that he finds but then he adds put your hope in God so you know David has this way of being emotional but always bringing his faith back into the picture of that and saying even though the reality of my life is right now 
it's it's bad and and things are dark for me I have still never lost my hope in Christ so I'm emotional yes I'm suffering yes as Christians I think for the world sometimes for the world we paint a picture that we have a handle on everything and everything has an answer for our lives and so we are somehow at a different plane than those people in the world and reality is that's not true at all that's not true here here is David chosen by God I mean he was in exile for years waiting to be the king of both Israel and Judah but he held on because he truly believed what God told him so we're not talking about a guy that's weak in his faith we're talking about a spiritual giant here but yet he's honest about the moments of his emotions and honest with them and he doesn't hide them because they realize that even they are God-given in the moments when he's sinned. The emotions that he feels are a God-given thing for him, but yet he brings them back to his faith and in those moments he finds hope. What we find with non-believers is that those that are not following Christ now same emotions as ours. That's it. Same emotions. Yeah. Yet yet devoid of the hope in Christ. Yeah. Being honest with your emotions, I think that's, I mean, yeah, that, that says it all in my opinion of just actually being able to communicate it. You look at, uh, we were just looking at a psalm this morning, and he literally lays out, he first says a foundational truth about who God is. He says, God, yeah. you are uh, my rock, or I, I trust in you, God. But then he goes through 15 verses where he's literally just like, woe is me. Everything's falling apart. But then you can see his process of almost working that out out loud to God. And by the end of it, he has this new, fresh perspective, recognizing that in the midst of this suffering, yes, it uh, sucks to put it plainly. But on the flip side, he is still rich because of the fact that he's been chosen by God. But it took him to process that out through 15 verses. Uh, It seems like it's a really long time that he's just like sitting in this, wallowing in this self-pity almost. But I think that a lot of times, I mean, I think you're exactly right. You know, it's the pressure that I've felt as a man at times to just, you know, push it down and put on a strong face. Um, and 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 I'm not saying that only men have felt that, but I think that it's the worldly stereotype. And honestly, I think at times even the Christian a stereotype of a man at times. For me growing up in the church, that is the stereotype that I felt within the church, not from my own dad, but just from the men around me that were in the church, that you have to be this macho man who sits there stoically uh, and has a straight face through every situation because they have to be the rock. And I feel like, one, that's exhausting, but two, that's exactly counter to what we see in scripture of what a man actually looks like exactly what you're saying but I feel like I feel like the church for me has been the source of that stereotype as a man and I don't know if you felt the same yeah. we grew up in different time periods <laughs> yes um, but also different <laughs> but also different denominations and I you know I don't know what it was like in the church of God a type denomination compared to a Presbyterian denomination and what was even being portrayed there uh, and I don't know if it's different in that aspect but um, I feel like that's been a key though is genuinely being honest with the emotions that you're feeling but not getting caught up in those emotions. You know here's something I've learned about um, honesty through scripture and life experiences is that honesty doesn't happen I I think by default with with us that that there has to be an there has to be an environment of honesty created so that you can be authentic 
what what the church has done in the past, and then I think what, and, and again, we're not here to throw the church un, under the bus here, yes. but yet the truth is the truth, and that what we've done is that, and in relationships, is that we've not created an atmosphere for honesty. We really haven't, because we've said, this is what you should look like, and this is what you should be, and, and, and so if, if you somehow fall outside the parameters of that, then you're wrong. And so you've got to become like this, and you've got to look like this. And so we haven't created this atmosphere for honesty, I think. I, what I've learned with Reba and I in our relationship, in, in that of expressing our emotions to one another, is that over 42 years, we've worked hard to cultivate, and it's not perfect, so don't get me wrong here, but to, but to cultivate an atmosphere where we can be honest with one another. And when you have this, when you have that, then I, I think, or to have that, I should say, to have an atmosphere where you can be honest about your emotions and how you feel. Hey, you said something to me and it really hurt me. Yeah. You know, you know, how do you say that unless there's an atmosphere for that? What creates an atmosphere for honesty? And what creates that is is security. It you 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 feel secure. When you feel secure, you can be honest with your emotions. Yeah. When you feel like that there'll be no retribution from that individual. Or, or they're not going to say to you that horrible thing that we say sometimes in relationships, you should not feel that way. When, when, when you know that's not going to be said to you, but you're going to be heard and validated, I think, in that conversation, then you can be honest. I believe that there is a great lack of honesty uh, because there's no security in our relationships as Christians with one another that we find ourselves not being able to go to our brother and say, hey, man, you said that to me. I'm not sure how you meant it, but this is how I took this from you, and I'm really hurt over this. I'm struggling with this right now. Or, or, or hey, I'm, I'm angry at you. I, I, I just want to say that right out. I'm angry at you. And then our response many times should be no response. Our response should be listening. Tell me more. Let me hear more from you. I want to, that I'm not going to judge you because of the, the way that you are. David was able to be honest <clears throat> about his emotion with God before God and others. We know that. You know, he was honest with that of, of, of Nathan. He, he was honest with that. Why? Because there was security built in that relationship with him and God, security built with others. You know, um, Reba and I for years have had a, a relationship and it's taken a long time because I had to work through some great insecurities in my life that I, when we first got married, I harbored some things within me, really did. I kept them really close inside myself, and I would not talk to her about them. Not that she really ever did anything to hurt me. It wasn't that at all. But, but some things happened that I didn't understand or I, I didn't know how to process. And so I just kept them inside of me. I really did. It wasn't anything she ever did, actually. It was just insecurities within my own life. You know, I wasn't able to um, I wasn't able to be honest about how I felt with my own father. I was raised in an atmosphere where you didn't show emotion. You 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 kept that close to you. You didn't do that. You know, I was raised with a concept of don't let anyone don't let anyone see you sweat. I don't know if you've ever heard that statement or not, right? But it's like, no, never let anyone see you under pressure. Then when I left uh, Lee University, I went to my first ministry position. And, and I've told you this before, that on a Sunday morning, you know, the pastor preached. He gave a great message. And so I felt 
inclined to come down and pray and and then I was told next week in the office that I was to never do that again because I could not let people see my weaknesses. If I were going to lead them, they could not see those elements of my life. So uh, has have we as the church really helped in this area? No. Yeah. And fathers? No. We haven't. We, we really haven't because we, we, we're, not even in, we're not in touch with our own emotion. We can't be honest because of insecurities. So my point is this. How does David become honest? How does he become forthright with those kinds of things? Because he's secure in Christ. I mean, in God. I think that's the issue. Yeah. That we find that security in him. And when I found my security in God, knowing that even if other people responded in the wrong way to me emotionally, if they responded to the ways that I, you know, I express myself sometimes in those areas, that it's okay because I'm securing God. You know? But I do still find myself apologizing for my emotion at times. Right. I did it on Sunday morning. I mean, it's just, again, it's the struggle. Right? And I feel like that um, I found that that security and stability in relationship comes from a mutual vulnerability. Um, I think that David can pour his heart out to God so easily because he's meditated on God's word. He's prayed and he's encountered God's heart. God doesn't hide anything from us. When we look at Jesus's life in scripture, we see everything that he felt put forth plainly and, and nothing hidden or coded over. Um, and which is such a, a vulnerable thing to experience. And then even with our relationships, I know I'm less likely to want to share something with Austin if I'm sensing that he's not wanting to talk to me about something else. I'm like, okay, well, I want to talk about my thing. (laughs) But as soon as he's vulnerable with me about, you know, whatever's going on, it just creates the standard of where our relationship is. And so anytime I've found a friendship where I'm kind of struggling with, like, why aren't they being vulnerable with me? I kind of ask myself, like, have I been honest with them? Have I been open with them? Am I expecting something from them that I won't give? <laughs> yeah, I think it's mutual. It, it, it really is. It, and, and if it's not, then if you're the person that's going to be vulnerable in those areas, you'll shut down. If, if, there's, if there's no mutual response in that area with emotion, then, then you're going to, I think, you know, shut down. You really are. I think in my, well, in my relationship, with Reba over the years, she was always, those those first years of our marriage, she was always very open. She was always the one that expressed herself really well. I was the one that struggled, and I've often thought I must have really put her through some real trying moments and times of, you know, what did I cause her to wonder at times because I wouldn't respond yeah. in those ways, you know. She's very, very open and honest about things, and, and I would just sort of, sometimes kind of shut down or hold back. And I think it was because I was told this is the way you should respond or you shouldn't allow that to be seen in, in your life. So contrary to, to God and the way he deals with us, isn't it? Because he's, he's open. God is open in Scripture. He's open with everything with us. He, he's open about his heart. He tells us what breaks his heart. Yeah. Jesus told us what he wept over in those moments, you know, those kinds of things. Jesus, when he's 
hanging on the cross at the very moment of his death in this world, he, he looks at his mother out of the whole crowd. You know, this is an emotional moment. He looks, and, and, and Jesus is experiencing the array of emotion at that moment, everything, I think. And he looks at his mom, and he says, Mother, behold your son. And he wasn't talking about himself, but he's talking about John standing next yeah. to him. John, behold your mother. That he expresses the emotion of love in the very moment that he's about to die. And, and I think that is such a powerful moment. He didn't care who heard him. He didn't care what Roman soldiers were listening. Members, members of the Sanhedrin were there. He didn't care. It didn't matter to him. His focus was that of being real and authentic at that moment because he cared for his mother. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, if we're going to talk about that of the influence of gender and, and our emotional responses in life, I think that's, that's huge because... Yeah. In these stereotypes we have in our culture about that of women saying that, and that of the female gender being more emotional than men might be more emotional than, and different. I think I don't think it's a more or less. I think it's this. There's sometimes some things that are different and respond to that. Yeah. But I think many times our our responses are just because of their culturally prescribed responses, and doesn't necessarily mean they're right. Yeah. They don't. You know. Yeah, as you're talking, like I, 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 as I've been on this journey of understanding how my emotions interact with my faith and not being led by them, but still being honest with them, I think one thing I've really come to understand, and I think what we even talked about in our premarital counseling was um, that, you know, as a man being so insecure that I try to produce an image um, so that people will see that image. And what it creates, though, is this fear inside of me that drives that insecurity because I'm worried, what will they think when they finally see who I really am? And I think that, once again, that comes back to what you're saying about this cultural prescription that they've put on top of a man. And this, even in the church growing up, like that sure. was the prescription that yeah. was laid over top of me. And right. I can, I remember seeing, I just, I, and I just, and I don't know where it started. Cass and I have a lot of conversations about that. And this is me being honest, but it's just really been the driving factor in a lot of decisions in my life is, okay, well, if I do this, what is that going to look like? From all the way down to like sitting in church, you know, in college and not wanting to go down to the altar because I was like, well, what if somebody thinks I'm coming down for a different thing? Because I'm not coming down for that. I'm just coming down because I, I really feel led. But sure. And just being so fearful of what that what that was going to look like that I just didn't do it, that I wasn't obedient to what God was stirring in my heart in that moment all the way to helping out someone in front of my friends that you know getting a meal I didn't get a meal for them because I was like well I don't want them to think that I'm just being prideful and getting them a meal so and I'm only doing this because I'm in front of them type thing so I just didn't get a meal even though I felt God was stirring my heart and I think that when we're so rooted in that fear and that insecurity to produce an image of something it really does at time hinder us from being obedient to what God has done. I mean, can, I, can you imagine how different the narrative of Christ's crucifixion would be if he was worried about what people thought of him? Like, oh, I have to be this strong, conquering king, so I can't let them see my my pain. I have to be stoic. But just how much more beauty is in that narrative because of the raw pain that you see of totally God and a totally human man sitting on that cross broken. Like, if he was pretending to be strong up there because he was worried about the image, it would be a completely different narrative. We're going to take a break in our conversation here for now. 
But in two weeks, you guys will be able to hear the continuation of this conversation as we dig deeper into the complexities of faith and emotions and the way they interact with each other in our lives as Christians. So don't forget to check back in, not next week, but week after next on Monday for part two of Faith and Emotions. What are we calling this? Season three? Oh, you're recording, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Season (laughs) 2.5. Season two, take two. <laughs> no, I like season three. It's not quite a new idea. Is this going to be like an end clip scene? Just for the heck of it? What do you mean? I don't know. Sometimes people throw at the end of a podcast like a little comedic portion. I don't even know if they can hear me. It's probably muffled or whatever. So no, you would, you would be surprised.